This is Scott Hamilton with Lee Ham News. Welcome to another episode of 10 Minutes About. Today we are talking for 10 minutes about the production transformations. In our podcast of June 29, we discussed what Boeing is doing as it relates to the next Boeing airplane or NBA. With me today is Kevin Michaels, the founder and managing director of the consulting firm Aerodynamic Advisory. Kevin was with me on the uh, June 29 podcast, so he's going to be with me today on this podcast as well. And his firm is one of the premier consultants uh, with a deep understanding of the supply chains for Boeing, Airbus, and others. So Airbus was actually a little late to the party when it comes to pursuing major design and production transformation. However, it appears to be making up for lost time with its value stream mapping or VSM, which is a form of lean management and supply chain tracking. And with digital, digital design, manufacturing and services or DDMS, Boeing's indecision about launching the new mid-market airplane or NMA and then the MAX and COVID crises gave Airbus a chance to make real progress in pursuing a moonshot and production transformation. But like Boeing, Airbus faces similar challenges. Various advanced processes are spread across Airbus commercial programs. Unlike Boeing, Airbus does, have, does not have the same level of defense programs that can serve as proving grounds for consolidated advanced production processes. And then there is the requirement for culture change. With this as background, let's turn to uh, Kevin Michaels to start our discussion. And with that, the clock is now ticking. Uh, Kevin, in our previous podcast, I asked you about uh, the production moonshot and whether it was something Boeing could pull off at commercial airplanes. I'll ask the same question now. Can Airbus combine DDMS into its new airplane program, whatever that's going to be? Airbus certainly has more time than Boeing, given the latter's pressing need for a new airplane. Yeah, so, yeah, Scott, I think you're right. Airbus is in a very different position, and uh, and, and what they have said publicly is that they, they can take some baby steps here, where they can start out uh, rolling out the DDMS system on the uh, A321XLR, and they plan to use use this uh, approach, uh, at least on the design development side, on the center, rear center fuel tank, and on parts of the wing that are going to require redesign. And then from there, presumably, should they launch an A350 tanker, or uh, A350 cargo aircraft, I should say, um, that could be the next big, pro- the next project where they roll this out. And again, that's more incremental. It's not betting the farm on a white sheet aircraft program with an entirely new approach to design, development, and production. So in that sense, uh, it seems like things are lining up pretty well for Airbus where they can take those baby steps and move forward. But you know, Scott, I would also point out though that Boeing has one big advantage over Airbus, which is that it participates significantly in the US uh, military procurement system, right? And and it is uh, on the MQ-25 and T-7. Um, it has had the chance to learn a, a lot of lessons. Uh, it's a contestant in the future vertical lift in the Army. That's a program that's going to require a virtual prototype within 18 months of the actual contract award, where you will be flying the helicopter in simulators before it is actually built. And that's never happened in a major defense program. Now, Boeing has to win to get to that point. So on one hand, Airbus, it lays out nicely for Airbus where they can incrementally gain this. On the other hand, Boeing has the advantage of being in these uh, military programs and the the frequent smaller programs 
DARPA programs, black programs that we don't hear about, where Boeing gets an opportunity to do things that Airbus doesn't. Well, you and I have discussed uh, offline on a couple of occasions how uh, the Defense Department, the U.S. Defense Department, is demanding some of these advances. And you would remark that the airlines and leasing companies really aren't demanding this similar type of advances for commercial airplanes. Now, Boeing says that they could pass through cost savings to the airlines, which, quite frankly, I'd be surprised if Boeing ultimately were to do that. But, but let's set that aside for the moment. Why wouldn't the airlines and leasing companies be demanding that Boeing do more to control costs? They, they do in a, in a um, high level uh, extent, yeah. but why aren't they maybe more uh, aggressive in prompting Boeing to go ahead and advance these designs and, and by extension Airbus, of course. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, uh, it's a fair point that the commercial, that we need to see more leadership out of commercial customers to drive the OEMs towards this. And, you know, and on the defense side, of course, the, the DOD is getting eaten alive by sustainment costs. So it's very, very much, it's not only getting eaten alive by sustainment costs, but they, they can take 25 years to develop the next joint strike fighter in a near peer competition with China. So the world's changing very fast and the innovation cycle has to increase. Commercial world could do more here, but the, the DOD is being prescriptive in terms of how they want, how they want the deliverables to be. Uh, they're cutting the development time. They're uh, and expecting things to be done in half the time and they're demanding virtual deliverables. Uh, which has never been done before. So I, what I see happening here is I see companies with significant, significant defense exposure leapfrogging potentially those in the commercial. And for companies like Boeing, they've got to find a way to transition that from St. Louis, a non-unionized engineering force, to Seattle, which is an engineering, which is a unionized engineering force. Well, the thought also has occurred to me that maybe the airlines and, and leasing companies are more conservative because they've been burned by new technology so many times with, with delays and with grounded airplanes and with delayed airplanes. Yeah. Could that maybe be what's why the customers aren't as uh, aggressive on the commercial side as opposed to the defense side? Oh yeah, the last 15 years have been development hell, <laughs> and uh, and you, you can't move away from that. So no, that that makes uh, complete sense. But you know, Scott, going even back to the early 90s when we had the first digital design aircraft, the Triple Seven, famously, I don't know that it was the airlines demanding that. I think there were visionaries at Boeing that saw the potential of what this could do. And they drove towards it and they explained the value to the customers in terms of what it meant for them, uh, you know, rather than the other way around. <laughs> and, um, and I think right now, you know, maybe Boeing, they're talking about it more and more, but they maybe need to get out and articulate this better and educate uh, the commercial customers more on what this could mean. Well, since you mentioned the, the 777 computer design back in the, 1990s. That was a big jump shot. It may not have been a moonshot, but it was yeah. certainly a big jump shot. And mm -hmm. I'll point out that that program went twice over budget. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, I gotta, it, it, I gotta wonder if, if this moonshot could be another budget hell. It, it, well, it went twice over budget, but it basically ran on time. 
So, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as and and I'll I'll point out too that because of the budget overrun on the triple seven, that's why Boeing headquarters demanded that the seven eight seven be outsourced to, to let the uh, supply chain take the more of a take financial risk. risk. And we saw how well that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yep. we're, getting, we're getting off topic here, but anyway, uh, as as with Boeing, any advances that Airbus makes is largely dependent on forces outside its control, namely the uh, supply chain. I can say that Airbus's supply chain management has been very clear for years when talking to potential suppliers that that with credit to John F. Kennedy, the supply chain management says, "Ask not what Airbus can do for you; ask what you can do for <laughs> Airbus." Airbus has really told them, "You need to be prepared to bring us." innovative uh, uh, design techniques, innovative production techniques, and lower costs. You focus on the supply chain. What do you hear from your sources? Well, um, you know, I think one of the big announcements that has come out of Airbus uh, this year is what they announced a few months back, where they announced that they're no longer trying to sell premium Aerotech and Stelia, right? And uh, these, of course, are the big aerostructures subsidiaries um, that were set up as independent after, shortly after Boeing spun off Wichita in the Spirit Aero Systems. They've announced that they're not going to sell them anymore, and they're going to more tightly integrate them. You know, Scott, perhaps part of the motivation here, I don't buy the whole argument that they need them because they're going to be building a flying wing in 10 years powered on hydrogen. Um, but, uh, but it is quite possible that as they look to the future and a more digital future where you're going to have to have suppliers that can deliver on these digital approaches that having them closer at home might be a good idea. And that could very well be part of this. You know, beyond that, the other major suppliers of Airbus, you know, some that I'm familiar with are quite sophisticated in industry 4.0 and they're totally up for the challenge. You know, a, a supplier like Liebherr, for example, very, very sophisticated in industry 4.0, absolutely up for the challenge. I worry, Scott, about the tier twos and tier threes that are just not going to be ready for this, that their capital's depleted right now, they're weak, and uh, and to ramp up for something where they're going to just gonna require a lot of NRE and cap capex this isn't a good time for that yeah the weakest link in the chain uh, i mentioned in our previous podcast the need for a cultural change within boeing's union's workforce to make the design and production moonshot work if boeing might have challenges with its unions what do you think of airbus's success will be with its notoriously fickle unions ah <laughs> oh, gosh you know it's it's i i'm really the wrong person to handicap uh you know the odds of success at airbus versus boeing uh yeah they both have their own uh their own issues here and uh but i guess what i would say is back to the beginning of this discussion just the way things are laying out right now for what we perceive to be airbus's next development programs certainly gives them time to, to change the culture, to change the processes and adopt and, and realize the potential of these digital tools. Well, I'll actually close with one last question about Boeing. With, with all of the workforce reductions for all the obvious reasons that we know about, uh, Boeing is losing a lot of institutional knowledge, both in its uh, touch labor unions and with its engineering unions. Is that going to be... Uh, a handicap for the Boeing going forward? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think it's definitely a, a headwind by all accounts. The, the gray beards and the experts 
that have uh, left or retired, um, you know, and, and, and those maybe that had been around for the programs that went well in the 90s, <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we've lost a lot of that. The, the, the generation is gone and we've lost a lot of that institutional knowledge um, and uh, definitely a handicap for Bowman. All right. With that, we're out of time. Kevin, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for the Boeing podcast and thanks for the Airbus podcast. Thanks, Scott.